Come on, somebody say amen. Are you made for the glory of God? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm made for the glory of God. Well, I am so excited that you are here today. I have special guests that are going to be joining us for the first time. So basically, one of our elders kept their children in our first service uh, last week. And some of my children began to ask, why did they do that? And my wife and I, we talked about it. And so some of our children have decided to come and be a part of adult church. And let's give it up for this front row right here. I'm not going to embarrass them. But that is their option. And so parents, feel free to do that. So this is how we did it in our home. If the children want to and the parents want to, that's the only way it can happen. So if I see they don't behave for my kids, I'll be like, y'all going to the back for second service. But uh, and if they don't want to, they can go be back in the children's ministry. And we have a wonderful children's ministry. I just thought it was nice that they wanted to come and be here. So thank you guys for being here. You're right in the front row. And I'm going to keep my eyes on you, okay? All right, let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. We're going through the book of Ephesians, now heading into the fall. How many enjoy the fall weather? You guys some fall folks here. You know what? I do enjoy the fall. It's not as hot as the summer, but as long as, you know, the leaves don't fall off too much, I'm, I'm liking the fall. But once all the leaves come off and then the trees get barren, I know winter's coming. But how many just love winter? You get excited about winter, like four of you. Okay. So the rest of us, we're all kind of feeling the same thing. It's like, it's like a bittersweet feeling. Like, you're glad it's not so hot. You could be out in the evenings. I was out last night with my kids. It's really easy. But uh, when you start seeing more of the leaves fall off, then a little tear comes down my eye. But I will ride my bike, Lord willing, all winter long, like I did last winter. I'm, I'm creative. I find new uh, bike trails. I'll ride on the streets. Pray for me because I almost get killed quite often. And I know you guys know that here because in Chicago, man, I actually stopped riding my, my bike on the streets because I almost got killed so often. Like I want to meet Jesus, but not that way. Amen. So anybody here, and I know some like Jackie, ride their bikes in the streets of Chicago. God be with you. Godspeed. We are praying for you. But enjoy the weather while you can. Go to these life groups. Get out and make friends, okay? Today's message is enlightened to our inheritance. Last week, we talked about enlightened to our what? Hope. Somebody say hope. So we talked about enlightened to hope. Today, we're going to talk about being enlightened to our inheritance. We're in the book of Ephesians. It's a wonderful book. I am still disciplining myself to read it or listen to it entirely every single week. I hope that you're doing the same. Let's look at this verse 15. Paul is praying here. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This is what we're learning, Paul's prayer. He starts off thanking God for them because they have faith in Jesus and they love people. How many have faith in Jesus? How many love people? You're the best. Come on. Verse 17, I keep asking. This is what his continual prayer was. This is my continual prayer for you, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So I'm praying today that you would know God better. I pray that through life's tragedies, you would know God better. All my friends in Texas would know God better. All my friends and family in Florida right now, my family's in Ocala, kind of in the center part of uh, Florida, and some of them are watching us today for one of our two services. But listen, I pray that people get to know God better through tragedies. If you're going through a hardship today, I pray you get to know God better. And then I pray through your ups and through your victories and through your mountaintops that you get 
get to know God better. I pray that through your promotions and your raises and your health and your family, you get to know God better. So through your ups and through your downs, I pray that you know God. Can I hear an amen? And it comes by the Holy Spirit. It comes with wisdom and revelation. And wisdom is the knowledge of God with proper application. And revelation is that which is coming to light, that which is being revealed. And it comes by the Spirit. And so we once were blind, but now we see. So you're not going to find God in a laboratory. You're not going to find him with a microscope or a telescope. You're going to find him in the eyes of your heart. You're going to find him by the Holy Holy Spirit talking to your spirit, and that's why we're in verse 18 to get today. Let's read it together. One, two, three. I pray may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now last week we talked about being enlightened to hope. Today we're talking about being enlightened to inheritance. And now I'll continue reading in verse 19. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. So three things God wants you to be enlightened to. And enlightened means to have that that revelation become real in your heart. Like literally you can see it with the eyes of your heart. As truly as you can see me now and I can see you, as truly as you see all of God's beautiful creation is as you should see him in your heart. And we're going to talk about that today, that the inheritance is glorious. Somebody say glorious. It is not just an ah, inheritance. No, no, no. It is a glorious inheritance. As we learned today in our giving lesson, trust me, you would rather have heavenly wealth over worldly pleasures and worldly riches. Trust me, that is what you want. You want to make a trade today. Trade what you have for what God has. It is so sad, and I see this all the time with my children, and I know it happens in adults' lives, but when my children trade something temporary for what we as parents have that's more lasting. So for example, I may say to my children, listen, today is going to be a great day. We're going to have treats. We're going to do fun things, behave in church. And they may be tempted in the children's room to disbehave in church, to laugh at a joke, to be silly, to run around the room. And that may last only about 30 to 60 seconds, that momentary pleasure with their friends. But you see, they have no idea. There may be a fall festival going on today in a nearby by city that I want to take them to and spend hours and have them eat cotton candy, go on the rides and all those things, and they will miss it because I don't do socialism in my house. We do capitalism in my house. You have to earn that reward. Grace is the salvation. Grace is that you're already in the house and you have a bed, you have, you have lights on and all of those things, but to be favored, you've got to be rewarded, and rewarded comes by your deeds. Are you listening? And there's been many a time we've gone to a festival with only one or two of my children, where I've gone rather than I've left the rest home with Nancy because I don't play. And you see, they trade that temporary misbehaving, and they trade it, and they lose out on this longer blessing. And how often do we do it? We hold on to our lives. We think 80 years, it's so much, God. This is all I got. This money in the bank, this is all I got. You know, this is all I'm going to have. Or maybe single people get desperate and go, this is the only day that I can get. I better go for it now while I'm young. I better go for this person now while I'm young. And then all of a sudden, what happens? 
You trade what God has for you. You trade the marriage and family that God has for you. You trade the career that he has for you. And then most importantly, the Bible says you could trade your soul for eternity. That you literally denied God, took credit for yourself, took all the credit for yourself and what you did in this life, and only got it for 80 years, which is literally a, a minuscule drop compared to the ocean of God's blessings. It is a grain of sand compared to the mountains of the glory of God. Somebody say glorious inheritance. Amen. Thank you. So there are three things God wants you to see in your heart today, that there is hope beyond the scope of human limitation, that there is a glorious inheritance. Listen to those adjectives. And then verse 19, an incomparably great power for us who believe. I want you to come next week as we learn about God's incomparable great power. How many need some power in their life? How many want it to flow through them like a mighty rushing river? Amen. The power, that ra- that power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, far above all uh, rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. How many believe there's an age to come? That's what I'm talking about. Come on, somebody say amen. How many believe in the age to come? I believe in that age. You know what I've noticed, by the way, is that as churches have diverted from the focus of Jesus and the cross, as they've diverted from talking about sin, as they've diverted from talking about holiness, they've also diverted from talking about the eternal kingdom to come. I don't know if you've noticed that, but a lot of preaching that you hear today, once again, because you've heard me mock it, you've heard me illustrate it, but I'm not going to do it right now, but most of the preaching you hear today, it's about you making it right now, like you experiencing some little blessing right now as if it was all about you. And what I notice is they're not preaching the kingdom to come. The reason is, is because there's no heart for the kingdom to come. What people want is their best life now. And what they're not understanding is that sometimes you've got to, well not sometimes, all the time, you've got to deny yourself now to have your best life in the world to come. So there is no way that you get the age to come by doing whatever you want here. This is a life of sacrifice. This is a life of walking through the shadow. There's going to be suffering in this world, and you have to make up your mind, I'm going through it with Jesus. I'm not going to quit when things get hard. Are you guys listening? And so I think that's part of the problem is because if everything the preacher is telling you is about you making it through this problem, you getting some earthly blessing, which I believe in earthly blessings. We're going to talk about the inheritance today. Trust me, I believe we're supposed to be overcomers and have the best kind of life. The best kind of life is the God kind of life. Amen? But my best life is not this one. It's in the age to come. Can I get a bigger amen? Okay, thank you. So now watch this. What I think, and it's even trickled down to some of the people in this church, is you think that if you're so heavenly minded, you'll be no earthly good. So pastor, you know, what's really the point of me thinking about the age to come? I believe in it, but what's the point of it? I've got work to do here. But you don't understand. The more you are heavenly minded, the more you are earthly good. Let's look to our greatest example, Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. I'm not talking about any person you know on TV, sports, entertainment, or in the business world. I'm talking about the greatest world changer, history maker of all time. What's his name? Jesus. How heavenly minded was he? He was so heavenly minded that he changed the earth for good. 
You're being told, don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. But the truth is, you need to be so heavenly minded that you change the earth for good. And we need to be able to see everything we do through the lens of heaven coming to earth. The good that we do for others on our job is a taste of heaven coming to earth. It doesn't matter if you're the baker, the candlestick maker, the janitor, or the CEO. If you're doing that job as unto the Lord, you are honoring him, and you are showing the people around you what a taste of heaven looks like. The complainers, the backbiters, the greedy, the dishonest, they're continuing the system of the old age, the age that will be disappearing and destroyed when Jesus comes. You are supposed to be a taste of heaven to your family, to your community, on your job, in every situation that you're in because you know that heaven's coming to earth through you and that if it's coming to heaven, uh, if it's heaven's coming to earth through you right now, what is it going to look like when it comes from Jesus in entirety across this planet? See, that's my greatest hope and that's why today I don't get discouraged by the things of this world. Yes, hurricanes come and go, but there is a kingdom to come where the world will be at peace. Yes, my friends may come and go. Yes, church members may come and go. Money may come and go. Governments may come and go, but there's something about that name of Jesus. It lasts forever. And so that's where you'd start to anchor your soul. And I didn't get a chance to read it last week, but we talked about it, you know, having an enlightenment to hope. But one of the scriptures of Hebrews says that hope is the anchor for your soul. And so is it any coincidence that since right around the 50s and 60s, when we took a moral shift in this nation particularly, away from the God of the Bible, took prayer out of schools, took prayer and the commandments out of our judgment and out of our, you know, out of our courts and these things, was it any surprise to us that we began to see a spike in depression, a spike in anxiety, a spike in suicide, that all of these things started rushing towards the top and peaking. And even right now, we are on a 30-year high of suicide and depression and despair. Are you listening to me? It's because people don't have an anchor to the hope. Now, I know Christians may deal with these things, but remember, Christians have the answers. But the problem is the world has no hope. And they don't see that the reason is is because they can't see heaven. They can't open their eyes and their spirit and see God's plan for them. And they certainly don't see heaven coming to earth. Somebody say, open up my eyes. Amen. We're going to talk about that. Look at verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Who fills everything in every way? What's his name? Amen. Jesus. We're learning these nine things through Paul's prayer. If you've missed the past lessons, go check them out on the app or the website. Today we're talking about being enlightened to God's glorious inheritance next week, God's power, the name above every name, how he fills the church, and then how he's the head of the church and how he fills everything in every way. Look at these definitions because I want to get into the practical applications of these today quickly. The eyes of your heart are your imagination and your eternal, internal thought life. So let's just experiment right now with the eyes of our heart. Let's close our eyes. We're going to close our earthly eyes, not to be distracted with our heart or spiritual eyes. Now, I already got my eyes closed, so I'm not looking at you. Now, watch this. What's amazing is that you can do this multitasking. I can do this while I'm prayer walking, by the way. But I'm going to show you how to do it by closing your eyes. And that's just probably where the tradition came from, because closing your eyes is not a command in the Bible when you pray. But that's probably where it came from to, dis- to take away the distractions. Now, what I want you to do with your eyes closed is I want you 
to imagine vividly now. We're going to use the power of our imagination to show how powerful it is that we're made in the image of God and that we can do this. I want you to place yourself in your bedroom pretending it was nighttime and you're going into the bed getting ready to fall asleep. I want you to visualize that. You're literally kind of hopping onto your bed, pulling up your covers, fluffing up your pillow, laying down. In that posture, I want you to, in your mind's eye, I want you to look around your bedroom. I want you to see your nightstand. I want you to look and see your wall. I want you to see if you have any items there like a TV or a dresser. I want you to see it. I actually want you now to look down. I want you to look at your hands. Look at your feet. Look at the covers. In your mind's eye, flip the covers one time as if you wanted to get air into your, your body, into that room. Now open your eyes with me. You know what you just did. You just used the eyes of your heart to show that you're made in the image of God and put yourself in a different place. You see, what the world calls visualization, God calls the eyes of your heart. And you did it vividly. Literally, when I was saying it to you, I could see my hands as if I was in a virtual reality. I could see my hands flipping up my blanket as I do. I could see as I, as I was had my eyes closed and I looked this way, I could see the picture of my wife and I on our wedding day. How many of you have a vivid imagination? How many could see those things? only four of you. Okay, I'm going to preach to the four today. Listen to me. You have a vivid imagination, and the reason why you do is because the internal thought life was meant to glorify God. You were meant to use your internal thought life to glorify God. I'm going to say it one more time. You were meant to do what I just did there as an experiment that it's working. You were meant to do that for the glory of God. That is how you are to see your family 20 years from now. And I don't have time to do these things, but that's what fathers and mothers need to do when they pray. You need to close your eyes and say, Lord, what do my children look like 20 years from now? Lord, show me as a grandpa around the table at Christmas. Give me an idea of what Bethany will look like, what Hannah will look like, what, what they'll look like in their 30s. Let me see their children running around in my room. Now, once again, I don't call this a vision or a dream. This is simply just you using your imagination. This is the gift of God that he's given us. This is something that animals cannot do. We freely do this as a way of communicating with ourselves. This is internal dialogue. It is the eyes of your heart, and God wants it focused on him. The problem is what most of us do, sadly, is only use our imagination for those things that terrify us. We hear about the hurricane, and all of a sudden we wonder if there's a, a, a tornado coming now towards our way, and we start to visualize it. Or we hear about somebody getting abducted. Parents, I hear this all the time. We hear about somebody getting abducted in Chicago, and then all of a sudden it just runs through our mind. My child's going to the bus. Somebody pulls them in and then starts decapitating them, and we will imagine that, and it brings fear and terror into our heart. You see, what happened was at some point we took childlike faith, childlike wonder, and we turned that into silliness and make-believe, but we called worry and fear maturity. You've traded your imagination for the things of this world, and God is saying, I want your imagination back. I want your childlike wonder back. As a matter of fact, what you were just reading in Ephesians is poetic language meant to engage your imagination. Let's go back and look at it and see if it has. 
And I don't mean this as an insult, but I want it to be a, a correction, maybe a rebuke for some, but a correction. Because if your imagination is not being provoked in this passage, you are reading it lazily. You are reading it as a lazy reader. Because you should have your imagination provoked more than if you were reading C.S. Lewis or Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. Listen to what he says here. He says here, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened that you may know the hope to which he's called you to. How many of you have stopped while you were reading that and just go, show it to me, Jesus. Show me the hope, God. And all of a sudden, he just blows your mind. See, I don't think many of you are reading as you're supposed to be reading. You're reading through this, but you're not listening with your heart. I'm taking my prayer walk, and I have my Bible in front of me, and oftentimes I'll stop at that part, and I'll say, Lord, what are you trying to get into my spirit right now? And he'll say, let me just take you there. Let me just take you there. And like I said, I will see grandchildren running around my family's living room. I will begin to see stadiums filled. And not just big things and big numbers, but I'll begin to see accomplishments. I'll begin to see that which I hoped for but really thought was too big of a deal. Maybe God forgot and God says, no, 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 it's still on my mind. Is it on your mind? See, the world calls it visualization. Oprah Winfrey calls it the secret. I call what they do demonic. But Bible says it's imagination and it belongs to him. And the problem is you think you're so mature that you don't need to be spiritual. But I'm telling you, it's your immaturity that keeps you from being spiritual. It is your immaturity that makes you think that that is all Paul is saying. Is just a four-letter word called hope, and you just kind of think it's something cloudy and hazy. And what is hope? Well, it's I'll feel better in the future. No, 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 no. He's not calling that hope, just you feeling better in the future. He's saying no matter what you go through, I'm with you. I'm in power through you. I'm flowing with you, flowing through you in power. And there's a glorious inheritance. I mean, how many of us just stop at those words and go glorious inheritance? How about this, incomparably great power? What about this, the power that he used when he raised Christ from the dead? How many of you have actually in your mind's eye imagined what it was like when Christ raised from the dead, pulled away the stone, walked out with angels as his squad? How many of you have seen him lifted up above every rule and authority? This is the language of imagination. Paul is saying, come on, go deeper. Paul is calling you saying, go deeper. You got to go deeper. I see Jesus ascending like a rocket above the earth, looking down upon it and all the rulers of the land and placing all things at his feet, literally the earth being my Jesus' footstool. And then when I hear this language that he fills everything in every way, I just get the visual of what we would see like a hurricane. But instead of it being terrifying and destructive, it is powerful and it is loving. Just like Jesus' culture said, his love is like a hurricane and I am the tree bending beneath his weight of mercy. I just see God flowing through the room and the atmosphere. Isn't that similar to what the picture we get in the book of Acts? The literal wind of God, the flames of fire on top of their head. This is the enlightenment that God is talking about. And he wants us to take it serious. 
The eyes of your heart or your imagination and your eternal thought life, do they belong to the God of the Bible or just to the lottery? Enlightened means to cause something to come to light and become clear. I wonder how many of us look at this world and can only see the darkness or not see much through the darkness, rather, because all we see is the sin and the evil. But if we closed our eyes, we could see what God wants us to do in the land to bring about the good. How many more Martin Luther King Jr.'s is God trying to give dreams to today? But we're too occupied with the mundane that we can't close our eyes to dream a dream that motivates our life. How many inventive ideas is God trying to give through our imaginations, give through the, pro- the process of praying and spending time in His Word? But we are so immature, we call it childish. It's not childish to use your imagination. As a matter of fact, I would say today, if you're not using your imagination, you're probably one step away from living like an animal. You're just a creature of instinct. You wake up, you shower, you brush your teeth, you do your hair, you go to your job. You're just a machine. Dream. Close your eyes and see the purpose of life. And then open them and bring it about. Why are you on that job? Why did God place you there? Who are these people around you? What are they going through? What are the reasons that God has you in the family that you are in? Some of you complain about your family. It's because you're not enlightened to the hope of what God can do in your family. You only see your family as a burden. Oh, I wish I had a different kind of family. I understand some of you have been sinned against. God will judge the sinner. That is true. But maybe you are there to bring enlightenment and uh, bring hope so that that sinner can go to heaven. Joyce Myers talks about how her father molested her day after day and how it was torture to her soul. But eventually she gave her heart to Jesus and time went on and she forgave her dad. And long story short, she led her abusive, wicked, sinful dad to the Lord so that he might go to heaven and not to hell because she became enlightened to the situation. We may not be able to change everything. I understand that. But we can change something. Our hopes and dreams can really make a difference in the world when they're infused with the power of God. It's not that what he said. He said it's the hope, it's the inheritance, and it comes from the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Is there anything more difficult than raising someone from the dead? So if Christ was raised from the dead, can God change Chicago? Can God change our schools? Can God change the homosexual community? Can God change Donald Trump? Can God change Hillary Clinton and our government? Come on. There is nothing impossible. So our God is saying, dream again. As a matter of fact, when the Holy Spirit came, he said he would give dreams and visions. Where do I think dreams and visions come from? They come from our hunger for the things of God. Now, yes, God can shake you up with a dream. Just unbeknownst to you, God can do it. And yes, he can come and give you a vision. But when you study the life of the prophets, they were seeking God in their heart, like Peter, on top of that house when he saw the vision of the food spread out before him. He went there to pray. He went there to meditate, and God gave him a vision. He was Daniel and his consistency of three times a day praying that God gave him the visions that he saw. Are you listening? Some of you say you're waiting for God, but God is waiting for you in your prayer closet. You're saying, I'm waiting for God to speak. I'm waiting for him to speak through my imagination and my dreams. I'm waiting for God to give me a clear word. And God is saying, I'm waiting for you in your prayer closet. 
I'm waiting for you to make an hour out of your day where you meditate on me and put your face in my book instead of Facebook. I'm waiting for you to put your imagination into my things instead of your things because your things are dead. Your things have no life. Your things are carnal. Your things are man-centered. Your things are selfish. Mine are eternal, filled with my power. And he's saying, set your mind on me. Set your heart on me. We talk about this in the book of Psalms. As a matter of fact, I'll just turn here for all the, the mighty men here. Look at uh, Psalm 139, or excuse me, Psalm 91. Some people say, well, that's just things that, you know, monks do. You know, monks just go out and meditate and this and that. No, this is what warriors do. There's not any fighter, there's not any warrior that doesn't come into the ring or go into the battle without first seeing themselves as the victor seeing themselves as the one standing at the end of the fight. It is that in their heart that gives them the hope to take the punches, to have the bullets flying over their head, to go through some of the most horrendous things of life. It is that hope that they have that keeps their hands to the sword. Are you listening? Our greatest warriors of the Bible understood how to see things in their heart and to believe that God was with them. Look at Psalm 91.7. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. Now imagine if I was like David and we were all about ready to fight and I looked at you and I said, listen, brothers and sisters, you will fight and people will die, but you will stand and conquer. How many think you're ready to pick up a sword? I look you in the eye and say, sir, you may see a thousand at your one side fall, ten thousand at the other, but your sword will glisten off the sun and the blood of your enemy will drip from it. You will see the punishment of the wicked. How many are ready to give me an oorah or something right now? Spartans, what is your occupation? Humph, humph. Don't tell me this is just what sissies do. Don't tell me this is just what funny-looking monks do. This is what warriors do. This is what inventors do. This is what single moms do. They put the apron over their head, and they tell their children, when you see the apron over mama's head, she's praying, and she's envisioning you graduating from college, being married, and putting behind you the curse of a broken family. That's what happens when single mothers pray. They see the hope beyond the scope. Are you listening? God is looking for people that can bring heaven to earth. He has an inheritance for us, an inheritance. I've already preached on it because it was mentioned in verses prior. But the inheritance is things given to another by the way of their death according to a will. And who died that we may have things? Who died that you might have eternal life? What's his name? Who died that you might have peace in your heart? Who died that you might have a sound mind? Who died that the nations might be saved? What is his name? Then go get your inheritance. Go get your inheritance or die trying. Don't you tell me Chicago is over. I've read history books and I've heard what God can do in nations that repent. They thought China was lost. When communism took over China and Chairman Mao was in charge, the missionaries that were there from the early 1800s and 1900s thought it was over. Everything we've done is gone. It's over now. They're kicking us out. They're tearing down our churches. But the Chinese believers began to pray for revival. 
And now today China has faster growing church than any other place on the planet. There are some people, and some of them are just women, that are pastoring over 100,000 people spread out among house groups. See, because God had an inheritance for that nation and said, I will give it to you despite what these communists or socialists say. You better learn how to close your eyes and believe God for things that you cannot see. There is an inheritance. I do not want to be like the one D.L. Moody talked about. This is what inspired D.L. Moody to go strong for God. He said, I do not want to go to heaven. And then God showed me a room full of treasures. And I asked him, what is this room? And he says, these are all the treasures you left up here because you never believed for them down there. I do not want to see a room of unanswered prayer because I never prayed for them. I want to see the inheritance God has for his church to come to this land. Some of you just want to be raptured out of here. I don't want to be raptured out of here yet. It's time for us to change this world. I haven't got enough blood dripping from demons off my sword yet. I want to strike them down in Jesus' name. I want to strike down the spirit of homosexuality. I love the gay community, but I want to strike down that spirit that's over this nation. I want to strike down the spirit of corruption. I want to strike down the spirit of drug addiction. I want to strike down the spirit of violence. Is anybody listening to me? I just dare you to get ahead and read Ephesians chapter 6 about the armor of the Lord and tell me what your eyes see in your heart about a battle a ready warrior, ready to take down the enemy, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities in high places, these spirits of wickedness. I haven't seen enough saved yet. Don't take me home yet, Jesus. Keep me here until I see this land changed. See, I wonder when you guys pray, what do you see? Some of you say, well, Pastor, you know, I just pray I don't see nothing. Well, that's why you're not seeing nothing in your life. Well, Pastor, I don't really ask God for much. I just ask him to do this and that, you know, keep me safe. Well, that's why you don't have much. You have not because you ask not, and you receive not because you wait not. You and I must become the ones who knock on heaven's door and say, we're not leaving until this is answered. The Bible literally gives a parable to encourage us of that. There was a persistent widow who wanted justice. She knocked on the governor's door until he awoke in the middle of the night to give her justice. This is what it's like in the kingdom. Pray and faint not. How many of you are praying for your inheritance? How many of you even read the Bible and have four or five things you, you, you know to pray for? Some of you have been so deceived by the enemy, you don't even know there's things for you to pray for. You don't even know that you're supposed to be praying for prosperity on your job. You don't even know you're supposed to be praying for the will of God. I mean, literally, when it says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, if I said, write down ten things, go, hand them in, and I'll give you $100 if you can put a scripture and a verse to ten things that are the kingdom and the will of God you are to pray for, could you do it now? I almost want to put $100 on the line, phones under your seats, and see if you could do it. I bet you I wouldn't even put, put out $1,000 in this place. Ten of you wouldn't even be able to list off ten things with scriptures next to, next to them. And you wonder why you're so busted and disgusted. You wonder why your marriage is falling apart. You wonder why you still go to the counselor and things ain't changing. You wonder why your neighbors don't even know that you're saved. Because you don't even know how to pray the will of God. 
You don't even know 10 verses that say the will of God. You think this Bible is just some little storybook you're supposed to have me read to you like you're a child going bed to Betty Boo. This is a Bible meant to inspire you to change the world. There are promises from front to back that are waiting to be laid hold of. And the kingdom has been suffering violence. The kingdom has been fought against all of these years. And the Bible says the violent take it by force. We're not asking the devil. We're telling the devil. I'm not waiting for the aldermen to give me free garbage pickup. I'm not waiting for another hundred officers on the street. I'm going right to the devil saying, you loose this city in Jesus' name. That's what it takes to change the world. That's what it takes to see God's kingdom come and his will be done. You get a hold of 10 things this week, people, because next week I'm talking about the power of God. And don't come here as some Minnie Mouse Christian without 10 things you're believing God for because I want to partner with some people at these altars as you're shouting out to God with Scripture reference the will of God. The things you're believing for. The things you are violently taking in Jesus' name by the sword of the Spirit. The inheritance is ours. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May his death be the motivation of my life. Amen. I will not let someone outdo me. I will not be at the marriage supper of the lamb and I will not meet disciples from China, from Ethiopia and Africa and Sudan and these other places or from different times, the Reformers or the Methodists. I will not sit there and have them go on and on and on about what God did in their generation. I will not sit there and let John Wesley talk about how he developed the Bible Belt and how the Methodist preachers would cut down trees and meet out in the woods because the churches couldn't fit them nor did they want them. I won't listen there and just hear Charles Spurgeon talking about filling up the largest stadiums of his day. I won't just listen to Evan Roberts talking about bringing revival Bible to his place in Welsh in that country until they had to shut down every bar and make it a Bible study. I will not just sit there with a bobo in my mouth saying, well, that's cool. I want to look him right back in the eyes and say, praise God, because he did the same thing here. He did the same thing in my life, Spurgeon. He did the same thing here in Chicago, John Wesley. He did the same thing here, Evan Roberts, that he did in your generation. I will not let these saints' lives simply just be for me stories that we tell around the campfire. These will be the motivation of my heart. Therefore, seeing we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every sin and weight that so easily besets us, and let us run with patience the race set before us, looking unto Jesus in the eyes of your heart, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Because Jesus knew on the cross there was an inheritance 
The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that the inheritance was the scope of his sight. He saw it in his heart. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at it. I've already quoted half of it for you. Fixing our eyes. Verse 2 on Jesus, the pioneer perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross. Let me just show you right here why some of you busted and disgusted can't you do nothing right and every time you try it don't work out you know why it's because you don't see a joy set before you that's why you complain about your kids that's why you complain about your job that's why you keep complaining about this country because you're not woke on the inside to a hope Jesus could endure the most excruciating thing, the cross itself. He could endure it with what? Joy, because he saw something beyond the cross. He could see you here sitting today. He understood that there was a purpose for the pain, and he knew if he, could, if he would make it, if he would take it, he would make it for you, and his test would be a testimony. And so what he did is he scorned the shame. He said, you will not shame me on this cross. And I want everybody to listen to me, please. Look, look up at me. I will not be shamed by this church. I will not be shamed by anyone here. You can say, Pastor, I tried your church. It didn't work. I went somewhere else. Okay, go somewhere else. You're not going to shame me. I'm believing God for 100,000. I put 100,000 on the board when there was a lot less of you here. I'll put 100,000 on the board if all of you all leave. I'll say it to my kids. Are you listening? You cannot shame me because I see the joy set before me. I see a nation coming to its knees. I see it being led by a city called Chicago that used to lead in violence, now leads in revival. You may say that's just make-believe. That's just God and you don't have enough faith. See, that's the difference. Let me talk to you about it. Somebody say, give me the message. I got about 10 minutes to give you the message. That was just the introduction. You know it's the introduction. I only gave you the definitions. That's all I gave you was the definitions, and I scrolled past. I got more things there for you, but I can't read all that. That's from last time's message. But here's what you got to remember from what we talked about last week. Number one is that you can change your brain by what you think. They have found out in real-time brain scanning that you literally change your brain by what you think. They are showing people that as they think, they change their brain. And so what they'll do just in the areas where people need it the most, uh, in mental illness or those who have mental anguish, you know, depression, anxiety, etc., is they'll induce the anxiety with them. And what they'll do is they'll say, now look at what this is doing here. They have the, you know, the little probes, whatever, on their brain. And then they'll have a, 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 the, the monitor here. And they'll show them, look, look at this part of your brain. This lobe is lighting up, whatever. But then they'll say, you know, do these practices. You know, think about this. Think about your family. We talked about this last week. Think about empathy. Think about love. <clears throat> Excuse me, because that's a strong enough emotion to stop fear. What can stop fear is love. Not that you just stop saying to your, you don't stop, you know, stop fear by going, I'm going to stop being afraid. I'm going to stop being afraid. What you do is you divert your thought and your focus to something else. And so that's why we talked about with soldiers. We talked about this with police officers, those who are in high intense jobs. When they face these things, they have to revert back to their family. I'm doing this for my family. I'm going through this for my family. Okay? So anyway, so <clears throat> they'll show them on the, the scan, this is what your brain is like when it's afraid. Here, let's interrupt it with a picture of your children, and they'll notice the scan, and on the scan, the activity start to go down over the places of fear, and then these other places will light up, and then they'll literally say to them, does that, does that feel better? You feel better now? Okay? Guess what? You can do that every day. 
Now, how is it the world is showing us what God has already said and we still don't believe it? Bible says in Romans chapter 12 to renew your mind. It says to renew your mind. How did you think you were going to walk up into Christianity understanding everything when you only read the Bible like two verses? Hello? Did you just think like Christianity was some simpleton religion? It's simple. We all get it. But it is deeper than the universe itself. Well, it doesn't work, Pastor. I tried it. You did not work the word. Otherwise, it would work for you. You have to put work into the renewal of your mind. Christ perfects salvation on the inside of you, making it possible. But now you choose what you think about. Look at verse 2 of chapter 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is already a pattern in your brain. It already is set to default, to worry, to be afraid, to be stressed out, to be perverse, to be easily angered. Can I get an amen from anybody that knows they got a crazy mind up in this place? How many know you got a pattern of craziness? How many know if we put your thoughts as a brain scan up here and they could be read or put out as a movie, you all would be embarrassed, including me? All the thoughts of murder we've had, all the thoughts of perversion we've had, all the thoughts of bitterness, all the thoughts we've had against our friends and family, jealousy and, and, you know, bitter envy and all of these things. It's a part of the pattern. You have to break from the pattern. You have to interrupt the pattern. You have to renew your mind. You've got to put work into this. There is a pattern that things are going this way in the country. There is a pattern that rap music is this way. There is a pattern that celebrities live this way. Sports stars are this way. How many see a pattern of this world? Okay, go against that pattern. Renew your mind. Start activating the things of the Spirit. Understand first that the gospel changes your mind, changes the way you think about it, and then that you're not a brain. So you can actually, with your mind, change your brain. They're showing us that. The scans show us with your mind, you change your brain. Your soul contains your mind. And when your body dies, your brain goes in a grave, but your spirit lives on with your soul. Are you listening? You'll have memories, and you'll be able to talk to God and all of those things as a spiritual being. So that's what they're showing us on the scans. Here's my brain doing all types of crazy stuff, but when I tell my brain to do these things, it changes it. You can change the way you think about things. And just like not all bodies are the same, not all minds are the same, or not all souls are the same. My soul may be much different than your soul. I may not be tempted in the ways that you're tempted, but in my heart, I'm submitting it to God, and I'm letting my brain be changed by my mind. You may have your temptations. I have my temptations. You have your fears. I have my fears. You have your pattern. I have my pattern, but let us all submit it to God, count it as dead, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. Come on, somebody. Can I hear an amen? Your words, thoughts, and imaginations are what's going to determine what you see in your heart today. You literally change your brain and set yourself free from spiritual oppression when you put your heart and mind on Jesus Christ. 
I've already preached a message on inheritance about all the things that have to do with you. Go back and listen to it. It's called Guaranteed Inheritance, where I talk about getting your mind right for your family, getting your mind right for your job, getting your mind right for all of that. What I want to talk today specifically about is something that's very important to Jesus. Here are those things, by the way, that I've talked about. You're blessed in the heavenly realms. You're holy and blameless. You're lovingly adopted. You're freely giving God's glorious grace. You're redeemed by his blood, forgiven from all sin, lavished with wisdom and understanding. You've been made known the mystery of God's will. God has chosen and purposed you for a plan, marked and sealed you by the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen? You can hear that whole message. I talked about all of those things. Later, what are we looking forward to in our inheritance? The bodily resurrection. As surely as Jesus raised from the dead, we're raising from the dead, and then we are going to rule and reign with Christ. This is not all there is. There is a world to come. You will be there, and I want you to be ruling and reigning with Christ, not being punished. Amen? But now I want to show you about something that I think a lot of us miss. And that is, the Bible says, ask of me and I will make the nations your what? So Jesus said, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Specifically what's happening here is the father is saying to the son, son, ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance. And that prayer is answered from John 17 after Christ raised from the dead. Now the nations are in his inheritance. But in Matthew 28, he now tells us to go into the nation. So now it's literally Jesus telling us to go get his inheritance and pray for what the father gave him to come to him. Does everybody get that? Okay, some of you got it. You got to go back and take a look at that. But simply, we're praying forth the very prayer of Jesus. Jesus said, pray that there'll be laborers. Pray that the kingdom of God will come. Didn't Jesus teach us to pray that? He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Come on. Now, what I want us to do is understand the greatest thing against us making disciples today. It is not the Cubs, but this is an illustration. The greatest thing against you and I making disciples today is us putting our hope in this world. Now, I want you to understand this. I have no problem against people playing sports. I have no problem. Many of these guys may be Christians. I don't have a problem with that. I'm just using this as an example. And today I almost wore my Cubs shirt, so I don't have a problem with sports. I'm not a legalist. A legalist is somebody who puts laws in the Bible, laws upon people that are not in the Bible. But I want you to get this illustration. Don't miss it because you got offended. Hear what I'm saying to you. The one thing that will keep you from seeing your inheritance come and to see God's kingdom come through your life is if you're distracted by stuff like this. You can do stuff like this, but this is way down on the list of things that are important to you, okay? You can do stuff like this all day long, no problem. Bible says after you have worked hard, given your money to the church, given your offering to the hurting, the needy, etc., you can spend your money on whatever you want that's not sin. You want to go buy a Lamborghini, go do it. You want to have the nicest mansion, go do it. You want to start 100 businesses. You want a box seat at your favorite sports team. You want to take your kids here every week. This is fine. As long as you live for God, love God, love people, it's fine, okay? That's my last qualification, but I need to go on now. Watch this. Because the world has told you, imagine this. Imagine this team winning a World Series. And they put your mind on it. And when you're a dude, you go to the gym, that's all they talk about. That's all they put on the TVs, these sports channels. They don't put gospel preaching on TV, so you're not even using your imagination to think about being used of the Lord. You're just thinking sports all day long. You get what I'm saying? Come on. I'm just going to use this as an example. You all got to follow me here. And then you go to the job. They talk about it. And then when you see the excitement, this is now what motivates us because it already happened. Now we want it to happen another year. Look at how exciting this was. Look at how fun this was. This is what we want as a people. 
And what the problem is, is that we see this fun, we see this joy. Oh, my goodness, they won. Oh, look at it. It's amazing. And we don't understand really how shallow this is. Let me ask you a question. These people that are screaming right here, did any one of them perform athleticism to be a part of what contributed to the winning team? Meaning, did any one of these fans here catch a ball, strike out a player, hit a home run? And, okay. So now, vicariously, they're cheering for somebody else. So literally, they did nothing. Okay? Literally, they did nothing. How many get it? I'm not trying to be insulted. Do I have to keep saying that, guys? Are we mature enough to hear the example? They literally did nothing. Nothing. If this young lady who's screaming her guts out would have never went to the game, had never been a part of the team, uh, being a fan, being, being there at the stadium, whatever, they still would have won. Things would have happened. It had nothing to do with her, right? Okay. But it means the world to her. If I stopped her right here and said, uh, okay, stop, pause. Let, let's have a talk here. Let's have a talk real quick. How important, 1 to 10, is this moment to you right now? 1 to 10, how important is this moment to you? What is she rating it? Probably a 10. If I said, okay, I'm now to, I want to include in this getting married, having children, graduating college, what would you still give it? She still may give it a 10. Or she may say, well, those things are a 10, I'll give it a 9, right? Just to be fair to her because I don't know her. Are you guys watching? Are you guys listening? Okay, so I stop. Now watch, watch. That's another stadium filled. That's when Billy Graham filled Soldier Stadium. If I stopped that woman right there and I said, how important, one to ten, that we fill this stadium next week with the preaching of the gospel. What does she say to me? What does she say? What? Say what? Fill the stadium with the guys? What are you, what are you talking about? What? Two? Three? I don't know. It doesn't even matter. Do people even get excited about those things? If I said to her, how much would it mean to you to see thousands of people at one time, instead of screaming because a wooden bat hit a ball over a fence, they're calling out to God, calling out to their Lord and Savior, calling out for their city to be changed. One to ten, how bad do you want that? What would she say? She would say, I could care less. Now I want to ask you a question. What do you care about? What are you using your imagination for today? Because I'm going to tell you what, whatever you're putting your heart on, that ain't God and his kingdom. It is a house built of sand. I'm telling you, friends, Jesus warned us in every possible way. I mean, he was so serious. Jesus could not have been more serious. He talked about heaven in probably three verses in the Gospels, and he talked about hell for about 20. He said, it's better you get your arms cut off, your legs cut off, you poke out your eyes, and you go to that kingdom than for you to go there, go to hell, and have all your body. He said, it's weeping, it's gnashing of teeth. 
He told us illustration after illustration. You go to hell, it's like losing your whole life as a sandcastle is being destroyed. You go to hell, it's like you have tried to hold on to a vineyard that was lent to you. It was really never yours. Now it's taken from you and you're killed and burned outside the city. It's like you have been a, 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 a person that has held things against somebody else. Uh, you haven't forgiven their debt. And because your debt was forgiven uh, and I took care, well, the king took care of that debt, you're going to get thrown into prison and never be let out. Because here's the deal. I can tell you what you want on this earth by what you tell me you're meditating on every day. I can tell you what you really want on this earth. Do you really want God's glorious inheritance to come? Because the first important thing of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is for you wanting souls to be saved. So you work your job in the mindset, souls are getting saved. You, you go to your family, souls are getting saved. Your community, souls are getting saved. Because if you think somehow this is less important than this, and by the way, the reason why I have to have Filipinos here is because this is not even happening here. So I had to grab a picture from another country experiencing revival and put it over here. Because I don't even have a thousand Chicagoans over here getting saved. And I challenge any one of you to show me the last time there was a thousand people at one time getting saved in Chicago. Hasn't happened since I've been here 12 years. Didn't happen at the Joel Osteen thing. Doesn't happen very much, my friends, anymore. Maybe Reinhard Bonnke when he came, but are you listening to me? I don't have pictures of it. Nobody cares. Nobody puts it up. Nobody celebrates. This is what church people do. And yet this is the entire hope of the nation. It's up to you today what you meditate on. I can't force you to do this. You can meditate on your family, your job, your, your money. You can meditate on whatever you want. But I want to tell you a principle that you and I cannot get out of, and that's what Jesus taught. Ben, would you come, please? Listen to this principle, and I want you to get it deep in your heart today. Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where's... Where's your treasure today? When you close your eyes, what do you see in here? See, what we told our kids, everybody look up at me. Here we go, closing now. What we told our kids is, I just want you happy. I just want you happy. I just want you to grow up. I want you to be happy. Well, Mom, I know I'm a girl, but I'll be happy as a boy. What do you say then when happiness was your God? I told them I wanted them happy, so... Might as well support their sex change. Mom, I'm happy living with my girlfriend. We're happy. I'm happy not going to church. I'm happy going to the lake today. It's going to start getting cold. Better get those days in while I can. What do you do when happiness was your God? No, I don't want my children just to be happy. I want my children to be holy, set apart for God. I don't want them in the pattern of this world. I don't want them cut out to look like Oprah Winfrey. I don't want them cut out to look like Baez. I don't want them cut out to look like Trump. 
Hillary Clinton. Always got to throw both of them in because somehow you all think one is better than the other. You all listening? In my mind, at least one has somewhat of a brain. And I'll let you guess who you think that is, okay? Now listen. You better get real about this because it's your heart. It's your heart. You get in your car tomorrow. You're going to have a commute, most of you. 30 minutes, 20 minutes, what are you thinking about? You're just so busy, just thinking about the next thing. Well, you're just like a machine. You're no different. One step away from the dog that we just trained to do whatever they do on America's Got Talent. You're just a trained human. But I dare some of you in the eyes of your heart, of course, drive safely, but in the eyes of your heart to see the kingdom of God come to where you are at. I literally want you to imagine this. Just like how when we were kids, they used to have these uh, transparency slides and say you were in science class and biology, and it would start off with like the outline of a human, and then they would put the skeletal system, and then on top of that with the transparency, they would put on the organs and the nerves. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, and then if you take things away, it reveals, the, you know, takes away the other things. But listen, I think some of you are looking with the wrong transparency. You have the wrong worldview. I want you to put on the glasses of heaven today. I want you to see the world through his eyes. I want you to believe what he said can happen will happen. This week, go find ten things in the Bible that you will hold on to. And for the joy set before you, you will despise the shame of this world. It doesn't matter what happens, you will hold on to those things. Because it's God's will for your life. Amen. Would you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Come on. Amen. Altar workers, would you come? Let's use our imagination one more time before we go as we pray. But this time, let's use it for the kingdom of God. Use your imagination. Where can you go this week and bring forth the kingdom of God? Who can you share the gospel message with? And where can you begin to make a difference for the things of God? Right now, just begin to pray and say, God, use me for your glory. I pray for all that you have for my life to come through me today and this week. Where do you see yourself going and doing the things of God? Use your imagination. With the eyes of your heart, do you see a glorious inheritance before you? This is what God promises you. If you can see it in your heart and believe it by faith, whatever you ask shall be done. If you look to this mountain and do not doubt in your heart and say, be cast into the sea, it shall be done. Is there any mountain moving faith in this place today? Is there anybody that when they close their eyes, they see mountains moving in Jesus' name? I just ask you right now to pray for them right now to go, to move, to come to pass, for you to get bold with your prayers, for you to see the will of God coming to pass, and for you to live it out. What if it doesn't happen, Pastor? What if it does? What do you have to lose? 
You'll get 100% of the prayers you don't pray unanswered, guaranteed. But what if I told you one of the five things, one of the ten things you're asking God for is going to come to pass? Would you believe it? to do it? Would you have enough courage to stand up for it? I don't know the exact will of God, nor do you. We don't know how everything's going to work out in the end, but I know if we're spirit-led, we can start to align ourselves to his perfect will. That's what it says in Romans 12, renew your mind so that you may test and approve that which is his perfect and pleasing will for your life. You need to start practicing right now. You need to start being bold right now. Stop accepting things the way that they are right now. Believe that your world can change. In Jesus' name. Would you look up at me before we go? I'm serious. Ten things in the Bible. Would you find them this week? Pray and say, Lord, show me ten things to pray for, to see in my heart by faith before I see come to pass. Because I want you to come motivated next week so that when I say God's given you the power, you don't just look at me like, power for what, Pastor? Power to get up in the morning and come to church? No. Power to see those things come to pass. Power to see your world changed. Power to see your neighbors change. Power to see dreams come to pass. Amen? Father, we ask you, for the will that you have for us to be done in and through our lives. May we touch heaven and change earth. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, come on, everybody said, amen. Give it up for Jesus. Give him a praise like you believe there's a great inheritance, a glorious inheritance. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you at Life Groups. We'll see you at Life Groups. You're dismissed. Have a great day.